Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is his partner, Greg Cutchins. Good morning. Good morning, Greg. Hey, <laughs> um, we, we did a, a webinar with Ascendo. Uh, Chris Jackson did a, a session on accelerated life testing. And one of the comments or questions came up was, well, can't you just assume it's, you know, uh, uh, it was a constant failure rate and make the test a lot easier? And I says, well, yeah, you can. <laughs> you, you, you know, I'm thinking, and you will, you will get an answer. You know, if you close your eyes and start pushing buttons on your phone, it and assume that you're dialing the right number. Um, you might actually make a connection, and it may or may not be <laughs> what you expected. <laughs> um, but it's the the challenge, and I and it, I run in this so many times as people say, oh, we need to do some testing. And so they take uh, a handful of products and they throw it into a chamber and they crank the heat up a little bit and they come back a couple of days later and say, oh, they're still working, so we're good. And that is so fraught with so many unfounded and unjustified assumptions um, that I thought, oh, that's a topic. Just... (laughs) It's it's the basis not just for reliability engineering. There's a lot of engineering and a lot of science that goes into into the work we do. It is completely based on making assumptions. And I don't think we we could do what we're doing without making them. The hard part is is many people skip that step and just unconsciously make assumptions, or for ease of whatever, make assumptions to make their life easier without regard for whether it's true or not, or what's the impact if it's not true, and on and on and on. But I'm sure you've seen it. People kind of just assume stuff and then kind of get surprised later oftentimes. Well, first of all, I think this is a good time to sort of add that classic joke about what's assume. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's basically, you know, makes an ass, A-S-S of you, you know, the letter U of me. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, assumptions. For many years, we were actually doing audits of folks. And what type of audits? Uh, process audits, product audits, mm-hmm. uh, reliability, all types of audits. And depending upon what we were doing, the biggest challenge we had was replicating somebody else's experiment. And the biggest challenge was they didn't write down their assumptions. That you know, they mm-hmm. either thought it was transparent, they either thought that we were all engineers and we got it. <laughs> they <laughs> thought that and what I say they it's really the people doing the doing the work. Right. They they assumed. And God Lee, that word assume has so many levels of misinterpretation and danger and risk because people don't write down their assumptions. Now, I get it if you're a VP and you don't write down your assumptions because then you got plausible deniability. But I'm talking about workers on the line, engineers on the shop floor or the factory floor. They don't write down their basic process in terms of decision making. What were the assumptions that went into uh, <laughs> into a decision or you know how to solve a problem even? 
that just simply said, yep, we all got it. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, decision making and problem solving is not transparent unless you pass mine reading 101. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you might even need an advanced uh, course on it. The, yeah, the plausible deniability is, is an easy out. I've heard that excuse a number of times. And, mm -hmm. But it's, it's just, it was something that was drilled into me through all of the scientific method-related stuff I got exposed to, you know, from early on in science classes in school and all the way through, you know, graduate school is, I mean, one of my first books on reliability engineering was Accelerated Testing by uh, uh, Wayne Nelson. Uh -huh. And he does it a beautiful <laughs> job going through and saying, all right, if you're going to use th this approach, here's the key assumptions that you need to check. And, and I remember, you know, okay, well, I'm, I'm, if I'm assuming that we have a normal spread of data points that we got or that the measurement error is small enough or a handful of these points he, he brought out, well, how do I go about testing that? How do I check that? And I learned, you know, figured out how to go about doing that. And my boss was like, what's taking you so long with this, this experiment? <laughs> he says, well, I'm checking the assumptions. Well, why would you do that? And, and he, he's a PhD. And I'm like, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, you know, if I assume it's a, a distribution and it's not, uh, if it's not a normal distribution, for example, and I assume that it is, I will get an answer. I will get a control chart that gives me points and it'll give me false signals of either we're better than, uh, you know, it appears that we're not having problems when we are or vice versa. And so it's the consequence of getting it wrong is worth checking those major assumptions. And I, the first step is write them down, make them conscious. And, and what is that process you're using? What is the technique you're using? Um, and I agree with you. Is, I mean, when I was doing that work early on, I was, we had lab notebooks. <laughs> and, and our managers would routinely, you know, we'd get them out and he'd page through it. And it was just constant of what are the assumptions in this? Why are you using this formula versus this one? You know, that kind of stuff. What, why are you doing what you do? And that is always boils down to making some assumptions along the way. And Yes. So I've got lots of stories. Unfortunately, most of them deal with failure of one form or another, either my failure or team's failure or, or very often <laughs> the, the uh, client's failure. Or one of the problems that we have in quality and risk is variability. The basic concept of variability, you know, you've got, again, assumptions. Mm -hmm. um, if the auditee does one thing, auditor does another thing, and the client wanted another thing. You've got lots of variability, yep. lack of consistency, a lot of risk. And what happens quite often, at least what I've, we, we've seen, is there needs to be consistency. That's a hallmark of quality. It's really a hallmark of reliability. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, meaning you've got inconsistency, process uh, variation of what people are saying, uh, lack of controls, the wrong controls, you know, controls in the wrong places, looking at the wrong attributes. Yep. It's really, really hard to replicate a study, replicate a, a process, you know, 
Um, and by the way, that's a big problem right now in social sciences or sciences. Yeah. Uh, we have a whole bunch of people, uh, PhDs from great schools, doing stuff, reporting results. But unfortunately, the process is not replicable. You can't repeat it. And if you don't have that repeatability, which is really fundamental to quality and reliability, what you have is risk, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and it's, you know, and I've heard people suggest that, well, you, you can't address every assumption. You know, we're going to assume there's enough oxygen in the atmosphere in the lab so that we can breathe, right? Well, that's, that is an assumption when we walk into a room. Um, <laughs> yet, it's, is it something that's going to materially affect the decisions you're going to make that day? Well, if there's no air in there, then that could well be a problem. But it's, it's the kinds of things is that, we, yes, we can't address every single assumption we, we make. There's an infinite number of them. And we make dozens all the time, regularly, in a routine mm -hmm, basis. Mm -hmm. Yet when it comes down to I'm going to decide whether this product is, you know, suitable to be a solution for a customer. Right, we we make all kinds of documents about what's the use conditions, what are the requirements, what are the features, you know, what's the expected size of the market, uh, how much price point it will go at, all those things, and those are often all written down uh, in a requirements documents or product uh, specs and things like that. And yet, there's still mm -hmm. it's underpinning it. A lot of times, you start peeling back at these numbers, you go, well. You know, one of my favorites is somebody will say, well, it's going to be used at room temperature. Okay. Um, who's, who's room? <laughs> and where's the room located? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, if you're assuming it's going to be in Denver, Colorado, in an air-conditioned high-rise uh, office building, um, and you expect that everybody's room is exactly like that, well, we probably wouldn't do that. We would probably say, no, that's not true. Where are the customers actually located? And, and, but I've seen people miss that over and over and over again. And it's just, it's a fundamental assumption about how, how and where what stresses are applied to a product is understanding uh, to some extent, you know, may never know it exactly, but what is the total range, that variability part of those stresses that are going to be applied? What do all those different room temperatures mean? And I don't know, does it, you know, Greg, I often blame that undergrad statistics class is why we just, as a population, just don't like uh, dealing with variability. We just, it just seems like, well, if we assume on average it does this, one, it makes the graph smoother. It makes it only have a single point I have to consider. Um, life is easier. <laughs> you know, I think, it, Greg, it goes back to those undergrad stats classes that it, the, they're often atrociously taught. And it, it helped people justify not studying variability and studying the language of variability in statistics. And so it, while it's convenient to just use an average... And it makes graphs smoother, and I can uh, I, I can handle a single point of information easier than two points of information. And what is a second moment anyway? And on and on and on is that there's so many people that 
just in the world of statistics of dealing with variability, try to just assume it away and to make life simpler. And it goes back to the consistency part. Well, consistency doesn't mm-hmm, mm-hmm. looks great when you just do averages. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it it really looks great most of the time. Um, or it's very hard to detect how bad it really is. It, the assumption doesn't change the reality. And I think that's what so many people miss when they are starting a to address a problem or, or setting up an experiment to, uh, you know, to support a decision or, or set up a process to, to make something, um, is that reality is like gravity. Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. It, it doesn't care if you assume it's not there. <laughs> <laughs> the assumptions piece or writing them down and sharing them with the decision makers or even with the team is hugely important. And we still see, whether we're doing a capability or whether we're doing a forensics analysis, assumptions are not written down very often. It's amazing. Because why? The people who are actually doing the experiment, running the process, designing the product, assume, right? (laughs) And as we started this podcast, we know what assume means, right? Right. Well, (laughs) yeah, they they think everybody's got it in their head. They've been studying it for the last four years and everybody has that level of knowledge. So it's obvious. And well, not for the next person that picks up your notebook, (laughs) you know. If there's a notebook. (laughs) Yeah, 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 there's that too. (laughs) Unfortunately. Well, you know, the benefit of just, just writing it down, right? is um, it makes it conscious. And you're not going to test and evaluate and verify every assumption. That's not what we're suggesting. But writing it down, making it conscious, invisible, allows your peers to to check it. If you assume everything's Mm -hmm. like an air-conditioned office building, somebody else is going to say, no, wait a second, I've been in the field. It's this isn't on an oil rig. This is not an air-conditioned office, you know, building. Um, that's where they use this thing. Oh, okay. Well, that's I made a mistake there. But if that's never stated or written down or shared, nobody can challenge you on that. And the rest of the team may be assuming that the design was appropriate if they use the same assumptions. Um, but that's often not the case, especially when they're not visible. So that's one reason for it. The other one is that you can then prioritize them. Which one of these things will have a major negative impact risk, I think is the way you would call it, right, Greg? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Uh, uh, or positive impact. Which one, if we get wrong, um, will be a problem for us one way or the other? And, you know, some companies have the, the happy problem of they assume the market's 10000 for the first year and the market turns out to be 100000 for the first year. Now they're trying to find more parts and... And, and assemble more components and so on. It's, that's still a risk. And so get prioritizing them and then go verify the ones that have the significant impact. It seems like a, a reasonable way to approach it. And then third is check your assumptions. Get that mm-hmm, feedback mm-hmm. mechanism, right? Um, as the project evolves and as the products start getting sold or as the process you know, starts cranking out whatever that process is about, well, did we make the right decisions? Did those assumptions pan out to be true or not true? And, and where was the part of the process that we got those assumptions wrong? Um, 
How's that for a quick framework? I like it, which, by the way, sounds like the basis of Six Sigma, Lean, and uh, almost, you know, any type of good problem solving. Well, oh, bummer. Somebody already invented it. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's it called? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Um, it seems that a lot of the assumptions, for example, to Lean Six Sigma now have to be almost re-examined. Why? Because we're living in this sort of volatile world where, you know, uh, shipping supply chains are very disruptive. Yep. Disruption is variability. Variability causes external uh, uh, hiccups or external, uh, you know, that causes variation. Variation causes risk. So we need to sort of start looking not only at the process, but at the bigger picture. Where are the sources of variability? And try to understand those. Because the basis of Lean Six Sigma stability, just in time, you know. Uh, yeah. The you truck know, will always arrive at 10 o'clock and we'll absolutely. have the parts for the afternoon. We'll be ready to go. Absolutely. Smooth process flow. Yeah. We got to look at the assumptions and, like you said, write them down. Hmm. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking uh, just the overwhelm when you start thinking through that. And it's, it, comes down to which ones are important and it comes with practice i mean I, I was fortunate to have a couple of managers that i worked for that really helped with what what was your thinking in going this direction or setting up this experiment or why did you choose this many samples you know or or whatever it was i was working on the questions weren't on, you know, how quick can you get the results, which my boss's boss was often asking. Um, <laughs> but it was the emphasis is on getting the work right versus getting it done. Uh, and because you can be done and have a completely wrong answer. And then you then we're out of time where, you know, we lose we lose in those circumstances. So it was basically being taught and reinforce the basic mm -hmm. scientific method of, you know, what are you trying to do? And how do you, and then what is the foundation for the solution that you're proposing? And um, so I guess that's pretty basic. Although it's, maybe it's too basic. Too many people just wave their hand over it. Oh, you mean the magic wand, right? Yeah. <laughs> wave it away. <laughs> that's right. You know, and, well, I, I, I'm just thinking if, you know, as a wrap up for this is, you know, if you're listening to this, one of the keys is to recognize when an assumption is important. And so if you're listening to this in, in your day to day and as you head into meetings or as you're going into discussions with your colleagues, um, see if you can identify any of those major assumptions and and just bring it to the surface. You know, put it on the whiteboard or put it on the chat window or a screen for your meeting and saying, is this assumption valid? Um, you might not make any friends, but uh, <laughs> you, you might end up with a good discussion that may actually be beneficial for the entire organization and your customers. So let us know. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR, and you can let us know what kind of assumptions you discover as you... Uh, follow up on that little bit of homework there for you. Um, you know, Greg, I'm going to assume that we're about at the end of this one. Does that sound about right? Or do you have a, a last thought here for us? I think you're good. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Greg. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Fred. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. 
we invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.